Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10. We've been making our way through the book of Hebrews. Um, This is uh, a, a letter that's really like a sermon, and it's meant to convince Um, these Jewish believers to continue to follow Christ, to not turn back, to not go back to their old ways of life, to not have nostalgia that would cloud their vision of what Jesus has done for him. So uh, the author, who we aren't fully sure who it is, has been systematically going through all the major people and focuses that were found in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And he's been showing how much better Jesus is. So as we come into chapter 10, we're going to be talking more about the New Covenant. Uh, If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the New Covenant. And so there's a lot of scripture, there's a lot of text given to this. And so what does that tell us? What does that remind us? It's important right? Uh, Often when we hear, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. It is important. I mean, how often do you tell your kids the same thing they've heard before? And they're like, you've said that. You're like, yes, but I want you to remember right now again. It's on the test. Yeah. I, I will, I will continually be reminding you of this until you are grown. And even maybe then I'll be reminding you. Why? Because it's important. You don't have to remind people of stuff that's not important, but this is an important thing. And this is kind of like the the crux of the whole thing because we were building up all of what was the old, the Old Testament, through the angels, the land, through Moses, through all these different things. And now we come to this place where the old covenant is done away with and it's being shown just how temporary it really was. And now there's nothing for those who are in Christ to go back to. And the supremacy, this, which is really what Hebrews is all about, the supremacy of Christ, how much greater he is than anything else. And so as we look back, not, maybe potentially we don't have that same threat of going back to Judaism. Most of us don't. Like I was never there in the first place. But there is always things in our lives that at, at certain points in time when we're weak, we think about going back to and so this is a good reminder of just how good Jesus is and how that if, if we've been redeemed and renewed and restored, there's like Peter and John said, as Peter said, you know, where else am I going to go? I found Christ. I, there's, there's nowhere else for me. You're the Christ. You're, you're the Messiah. I will go wherever you go. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. We pray that you would um, help us to hear from you in your word and that we would be changed and just uh, encouraged, renewed, restored, convicted, whatever, Lord, whatever you want to do in this place, we want to be open to that by the moving of your spirit. We pray you'd pour out your spirit on this place, open our hearts and our minds, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be going through 18 verses, so we'll be moving relatively quickly through here. Uh, But starting at verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same... can never with these same sacrifices, which they continually offer year by year, make those who approach perfect. 
So the law, and this is what he's saying, is that the law or the things that before, the, the old covenant, the, the, the Mosaic law, was it's, it's a shadow. And it can't actually make you perfect. Sometimes we think that, that they believe they could be perfect in the Old Testament. They didn't think that either. We'll get into some, some texts on that. But what this author is reminding them, you could never be made perfect. The, the, the deal was, is that as they would make these offerings and these sacrifices, and as they'd come to the Day of Atonement, it would be a covering for their sin, but not, they wouldn't be renewed and made new. They would be covered for a season. But it wasn't like something that would last for a long time. It's kind of like the duct tape fix. You know, the thing that you say, I'm just going to do this for now and then I'll fix it. And you get, and then you, time goes on and before you know it, it's still like that. I mean, we have, we have an example of that. Uh, our camera's a little wobbly. So there's a Bible propped in between the camera pole and the, these guys are laughing because they're looking at it. Yeah, I think I'll get a bracket and we'll attach it to there. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. And the Lord, the, What? Yeah, no, it's, it's on me. That's, that's, that's on me. I said I would do it. But what I'm trying to say is we've got this, we've got stuff like this all over our lives and we can understand. The law was in a sense a way of getting by, but it was never going to be ideal and it was never meant to last. That's the idea of duct tape. You could, you could use duct tape to, you know, put your car back together, but it's not going to last long term, you know. It might last for, it's a gorilla tape, it, it'll last a little longer, Right? But this, the law was, it was intended to be a shadow or a silhouette of what was to come. What do you, what do you know about shadows? They're kind of interesting. When you're a kid, they're scary, potentially, right? If you see a, your shadow and it's, all of a sudden it's following you, you know? But there's, and, and we might love the shadows. You might have a, a shadow of your kids and oh my gosh, they're so cute or whatever, a silhouette. Our friends have, uh, in their living room, they have um, up on their wall, a silhouette of their three children. And it's really interesting is you can absolutely tell which kid is which. They look similar. It's not like they look crazy different. But their silhouette, you can tell. But we wouldn't, if it was just the silhouette and we never had all the features, it would not be the same. It would actually be kind of creepy because then you start filling in weird blanks and you kind of whatever. And we wouldn't take a picture of someone's shadow with like, you know, my daughter Hazel, you did such a good job, honey. Let's take a picture of your shadow while you were doing the dance. No, we want the, the substance. We want the real thing. So that's what we're looking for. Not just like the, what pointed to their fact that there was a real thing. Because the fact that there was a silhouette, the reason we can recognize it, and this is kind of the approach from looking at, now looking at the Old Testament from the New, is because we've now seen the full form and function of Jesus and what he came to do, the Old Testament makes a lot more sense. The law makes a lot more sense. So the shadow is like, oh my goodness, that's a perfect shadow. You know, remember ultrasound pictures? You get ultrasound pictures. Now they have the 3D ones, which are like a little creepy to some extent, right? But what's the one of the things, especially the old ones, the, the lo-fi ones, you know? Oh my gosh, they look just like me, you know? There's my nose and there's my lips. And you're like, that's, that's actually not their face. That's a, but... You know, uh, anyways, you know, uh, and we swear we, oh, look at the, oh my, I could just see it. That's them. And then they come out and you're like, whoa, okay. 
you're, there was a lot more to you than what I saw in that picture. This is what we get with the new covenant makes the old covenant really make sense. But it also shows its shortcomings, just like a shadow would have the shortcomings of not actually having the real person. The shadow is completely reliant on the real person, in fact. Otherwise, what it doesn't exist. It's, a, it's a, an image, a dim picture of what that person looks like. Verse two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. So he's saying, basically, you can't be made perfect by the law. It was never meant to be that way. That was never the approach of the law. So he says, for then uh, would they not have ceased to be offered? So why would they cease offering them if, if they were making you perfect? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. Or, or, or actually saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I mixed that part. He's saying, like, if it worked, then it would have worked for good. Why would they have to keep doing it over and over again? Why would they have to keep on entering into the same thing over and over again? They'd be purified. There'd be no more consciousness of sin. That's important. The consciousness of sin is really an important piece to this. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is possible, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Even under the old covenant, there was no way. This was, it wouldn't actually take away the sins. It would cover them for a season. But what, what was the real representation? That what were we really supposed to experience with Christ? Well, we see it back with Adam, who's walking with God and is enjoying God and, and is being used by God and is working in partnership with God. The idea is relationship, to dwell with him, to enjoy him by trusting him and representing him through a transformed life. This is what we were called into and how would you receive that through the blood of bulls and goats? You can't. There's, there's, there's no connection there. All that does is it's able to, to cover sins for a season. So Old Testament, they were already looking ahead that this does not really do it. And it's not really about these sacrifices. For First Samuel 15, 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight uh, in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Obedience is a sign of relationship. It's a symbol of relationship, right? Because it, it, it's a sign that if my children listen to me, it means that they trust me and they believe that I know what's best for them. Even though sometimes it's kicking and screaming, all right, that's, that's what's best for them. And sometimes you go to a store and they like want to run wild and you're like, listen, stay close because you get a weird vibe. Some dude in the corner or something, you know, stay close to me. I don't, I just, and they're like, why? And you're like, just hold on, stay close to me. Trust me. I'll explain later. And they stay they're Okay. They'll stay close. And then I'll tell them like, oh, okay, I'm glad I stay close to you. You know, the obedience is built through relationship. That's not what we got from this. So to, to bring all these sacrifices, that's not what the Lord's looking for. That's dealing with sin. And it was an, a, a gory affair. We'll get into that more in a second. So Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You know what mercy speaks of? 
one who's received mercy, one who has an active relationship with God, one that's been given it, one that's giving it. Grace and mercy, this is, we, we best uh, exemplify grace and mercy when we really recognize how much we've been given of it. Because otherwise we can become so justified in our own eyes. But as soon as you get it, you really get it. And that's what uh, parables are so good at. Parables are so good at, at telling a story that uh, kind of gets you off your guard, right? So par- parables are basically stories that get behind the firewall of your heart. Because if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, I see some stuff in your life, you're immediately guarded, Ooh, you know. Oh yeah, well, I see stuff in yours. You don't even know if it's good or bad, you know? So you're starting to think about stuff. For, for instance, when you walk up to people like now and say that, you know, but parables have a way of telling a story that you're like, well, that was an interesting story. And then all of a sudden at the end, you realize, oh no, that's about me. Oh no, that's me. That's my heart. That's Nathan, right? With David. Hey, let me tell you about this man who had all this stuff. And then he took, he took from the one guy who had very little and he took it from him and then he killed him. And he's like, let me find this guy and I'll kill him. And he's like, the guy is you. You are the guy. And he's like, and what's David's response? Oh my. Like he's just, he's, he's, he is no longer the king in his mind. He's been humbled. David would pay a price for that, but he'd also receive mercy. And I think these are the kind of things that we, if we allow it, they will shape us when we recognize as we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading it to read it, or we're not just reading it and we're seeing it and going like, someone needs to hear this. I know some people who need to hear this. These, there's so many sinners that don't listen to this like I listen to it, and they don't read it like I read it, and they need to hear this. And you go, we are missing the point because as we read it, it should be like cutting us to the core constantly and drawing us to the point place where we're like, Lord, I need your mercy. Lord, I need your grace. Amen. Do we recognize this? We feel this every single week as you read it. And and so, but it's tricky because all of a sudden you start, you know, you got your Bible app and you're like, I've read three days in a row. I've read seven days. I've read 52 days in a row. What is wrong with people? It's just so easy. And, And there's nothing wrong with reading it. Of course, it's a good thing, but you start to feel high and mighty and superior. Oh, I'm better than them. Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like, you know, one of these people, you know, who's one of these sinners and, you know. He's like, yeah, well, you know, the one I actually really like is the guy who's humbled and is broken before me. So there's, that's part of that. That's the idea of of mercy relationship. This is, this is a real relationship because guess what you need if you're in a real relationship with someone? Mercy and grace. That's the first thing you need to know if you're gonna get married. This has gotta be a house of grace. <laughs> this is something we gotta know. As a church, we're gonna bum each other out sometimes. We're gonna let each other down sometimes. And by the way, a lot of times the people, when they let you down, they don't even know they did. That's such a bummer. That's so hard. You're like, I, I didn't even know that I did that. You know, I, would, I, I, I sometimes would get that. I have, I have some friends, my buddy Nick over here knows, my, our friend Eric, he's just got like a, like, a, like a resting, like angry face. And he just, he just looks at people and you didn't realize he's not mad at you. He like likes you, but that's just the way he like looks. And he's just like, and everyone's really intimidated. He's like 6'3", and he's just, 
and he's got, he's all tattooed up his neck and stuff. And he just like looks at you and he's like, dude, I was reading the word and it was so good, man. Like God's been convicting me. And you're like, well, okay. You know, I remember he told me one time, he's like, you're one of my best friends. I was like, so you do like me, you know, well, that's good. Knew that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, some, sometimes we have no idea the perception that we're giving off or what expectations are. So, we're going to need to be a, a community of mercy and grace. You go, oh, I bring this to the Lord, I do this, or I, I, I'll, you know, whatever. I, I'm, we prophesy in your name, we do this. He's like, Where's your love? Where's your relationship? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? That's what's built. It's not the things you do. It's kind of like sacrifice. Okay, well, we sacrifice. Oh, we, man, they had blood. We had more blood, so much blood. We were slaughtering animals left and right. You would just be like, wow, those are holy people. He said, that's not what I'm looking for. That's part, of the pro- that's part of the problem, but that's, we need to do that. But that's not really what I'm looking for. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But you do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's like, that's what I'm looking for. You, you, you have all these grandiose ideas, like, oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do this. You can't do any of those things if you don't do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so that's where we, we constantly need to be drawn back into, especially, I think it's especially prevalent when we're looking at the world around us and it's in moral decline and decay. So we start feeling better about ourselves, not on purpose, right? But we start feeling like a little bit more and more superior because you go, well, I'm definitely not as bad as them, which is by the way, true in some sense, right? Like you're not living a life that's full of as much destruction and, and rampant by sin, but like that is a very dangerous posture. And that is the type of posture that would never be enticing for someone on the outside to come in. See, the, the, the thing is, as we're walking with God in this humility, as we're loving, being, as we're being just, do justly and to love mercy as we're being merciful or gracious and we're walking humbly with God, that, that makes us appealing to the world around us that is so brutal, you know? So brutal. And now what, what's actually ended up happening in our world and our society is a lot of like the, the politics have become like a religion of sorts. And the second you mess up, you're condemned to death. Like you are, you are sent to hell as soon as you mess up, as soon as you've missed the mark. And by the way, the mark's always moving. So it's kind of like, everybody's kind of like, uh, what do I believe today? Someone tell me. So what's the response to that? Well, to be a community of grace that knows what we believe and that loves people and that lives in a great place of we need God. And so we're constantly reminding ourselves and others I'm desperate for you, Jesus. 
I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because the shadows didn't deal with the real issue. It was, like I said, it was a Band-Aid or, or, or duct tape for what was really going on. But Jesus offers true restoration. And we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Ezekiel 36, what was the promise? This was the promise of what was to come. This is the, the, the leaning and looking towards the New Testament or the New Covenant. Can't wait till this happens. This is what we're desiring. This is what we need. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. This was the promise of what was to come. This was the hope that, that one day, not just would you be cleansed, but you'd be able to walk with God. You'd be able to have a heart that's cleansed, a mind that's cleansed, a new spirit put within you. Then now you can walk with God again. Garden revisited in a sense with a little chaos around us. Verse five, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you do not you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. No pleasure in the former system. That's important to understand. There's no pleasure in the former system. What was the former system? Blood and guts and gore. So animal sacrifices. This is, this is not, because you, sometimes you think about like, oh, burning animals, that's, like, that's barbecuing, right? And that's a good smell. This is not a good smell in a sense, right? I mean, it is in the sense that it's being, things are being dealt with, but like this is not a, a, a pleasant thing. And the fact that there's, you, so we can kind of like overly spiritualize like even like all the blood that's being shed and you're like, oh, I bet it was clean blood. I bet it was like really nice and, and beautiful and whatever. It was, it was nasty. It was gory. It was sad. And it was, that's because that's what sin had done. That is the result of sin in the world. Sin brings forth death. Sin brings forth destruction and decay. Sin, sin rips mothers and fathers away from their, from their babies. Sin is, sin is devastating. And so we need to be aware of this and we need to be awoken to this. It's, it's meant to shock us and scandalize us. Not everything needs to be so, you know, uh, clean and, and um, gentrified. Like, you, you know where your meat comes from? The grocery store, right? And where the, the chickens, they just kind of like, here, here's some meat, you know, or the cows. Do you guys want a steak? I got you, you know. You know with it, I remember watching Survivor shows with this one guy in, in Alaska. I've mentioned this before. If you've been here, sorry, it'll be quick. And they were surviving uh, homesteading in Alaska. And um, he had to kill his, ca his cow. And he was like also like his friend. He loved this cow. And he wept because it was time to eat. He had to eat them. 
like it was time. And he wept and he wept and he used, you know what, I bet you use every single part of that animal when you recognize what that animal has been through. See, we, we're so far removed from anything like that. Everything in our world is so simple and easy and you can even watch a YouTube video, but like the, the reality of it is, is pretty brutal. I think the idea is that death is supposed to scandalize us. It's supposed to awaken us to the fact that this is not all right. And we live in a place where things are really good as a whole, right? I mean, this place is awesome. As someone who didn't grow up here, it's like paradise. What's interesting is it's easy sometimes to, to start thinking it actually is. And so we need to be awoken to the scandal of what sin has caused and death has caused. And so that our, we, we reignite a hunger in us for something new and much, much better than this. And I know that's, that's a, you know, whatever, a blanket statement. People go through stuff. It's not like it's the easiest thing. But like as compared to like, other places in the world, like imagine growing up in a third world country or living in a war-torn country. I mean, it's like a whole nother world. They don't, they're not experiencing what we're experiencing. And so there are pitfalls and there are blessings to being born or brought into any sort of different form. So there's the blessings, but sometimes the blessings can also be, in a sense, um, a curse because of how it can lull us to sleep. I think that's what's happened to the American church as a whole. We've been kind of lulled to sleep. I think we're waking up. I really do. I think, I think there's a spark of revival. I actually believe this next generation is going to see something pretty cool. I really do because I'm, in, I'm involved in the youth stuff. And I think there's a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. And, um, and I think that the contrast of the way of society going that way, it's just the perfect storm for them to rebel in a good way. <laughs> I'm praying for that, you know. But it was the will of the Father to send his son as a man to suffer once and for all. That's what we're looking at here. It, a, a body been prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices and you had no pleasure. Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. This was why, how Jesus came and it was in perfect obedience to the Father and it was done once and for all. Like those sacrifices that had to be done and then they were never even fully worked, but then they had to be done the next year and the next year and the next year. Verse eight, previously, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that uh, will we have been sanctif sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he's taken away the first. What does it say? He take, he's taken away the first that he may establish the second. So the old covenant is now gone. It is, it is null and void. You know, you write a check and then, you know, oh, that was the wrong amount. What do you write on it? Void. And you rip it up or shred it or whatever, right? Like this is no longer what it, this, this at one point meant something and now it does not. This is, this is no longer has any value that it used to have. And so the old covenant is now null and void because the new covenant has come. And how did it come? In the person of Christ. 
was the old covenant was really established starting in Abraham, then working through Moses and made its way all the way through. Jesus came and he was the fulfillment of the law and he lived it all out. And then at the beginning of the new covenant, as Jesus dies, he rises again. And then at Pentecost, we receive the Holy Spirit. I think that's the beginning of the church age where now we are... It, it, filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what was talked about in Ezekiel. We now have new hearts, new minds, new lives. Our, our, we're being renewed daily. Still, still who we were in the sense of we have memories of and, and pasts and, and all kinds of stuff and, and all that. But now we've been renewed, redeemed. Our hearts have been changed. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we are get to go out into the world and fulfill, be a part of the new covenant uh, to relate and to be God's primary vessels of how he reaches people. That's us. This is the church. So the old covenant is gone. Now that the new covenant is here, it's gone. It had to be done away with. No more yearly reminders. We're, we're forgiven. The price has been paid. So we come boldly. And this is the message the world longs for. And this is what's really important is that we understand how to, how to speak the language of the people. I think Paul was really good at that. He was good at speaking to people in their context of understanding what they needed to hear. So we have to answer the questions that the world is asking with truths that belong to Jesus and who he is. We have to help people unite. You have to, in a sense, bring them in. So what are issues that our world is struggling with right now? Identity. Who am I? Worth. Am I enough? You know, what do I have to do? If I only can just, you know, stop, you know, go completely, you know, green, you know, green, zero percent, whatever, you know, like, oh, that's so hard, right? If I can only eat organic, you know, farm to fork, source, whatever, you know. It's exhausting. Identity, am I enough? Identity, worth, am I enough? As I am right now. Belonging. Is there a place where I actually belong and I feel like I'm, I can be exactly really who I am? You know, home, that's home. I'm just, you know, here it is. The good, the bad, the ugly, you're seeing it all. You don't, you don't have to say that at home. It just happens. Because yeah, all, all, the, all the, you know, pleasantries kind of, you're not coming in in a tuxedo, you know. What an elegant dinner. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful home. My goodness. And it's just, oh, wow. You know, it, we're just like, is there, food, is there food ready? I'm like so hungry, you know. Oh, I don't want that. Is there anything else? Can we have something? Uh, okay, fine, whatever, you know. Oh my gosh, look at these kids. They're so, come here, you. Let's, let's play. Let's sit and play. Did you do your homework? Like, go, don't come out here until you're done cleaning your room. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's like ways to say things, but we feel comfortable at home. It's like, here's the real me. And so your children, they know. You're, if you're married, they know. I see how they know. So there, this is where, can we belong? 
with Jesus? Can we be really honest and, and real? Because it's funny, the places where they're like, oh, come and be yourself. You can't really be yourself because if you differ at, differ at all from a way that they don't want you, you can't be. So the world is still looking for these things. They're looking for identity that's not, you're not gonna find it anywhere but in Christ. If you're looking for worth, you're gonna struggle to find any sense or source of worth. Even if you're wildly successful on this side of eternity, even if you can build and build and build and you do really, really well, it's never going to be enough. If you're, you're looking for a place of belonging where you can actually be who you really are, God says, come, come to me. Like confess, spill your guts. We talked about camp, winter camp last year, and it was just like all, all the students, we were preaching on that, on forgiveness and confession and just like letting God just know what he already knows and just like laying that out and allowing healing. And, and it's unbelievable the amount of belonging that comes from that. But if you are a culture, a church that's stuffy and everybody's like, I know they got junk, but I don't want to say anything because I got it too. Uh, so we're all going to kind of like toe the line and be kind of honest and say Christian cuss words instead of the real thing, you know. <laughs> this is not the kind of appeal. It's not like you, whatever, should be cussing to people, you know, whatever. You, you get my point. Like we have ways around being who we really are in, in our honesty. And then freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. What do I do with my guilt and my shame? I think that is actually a big deal. That is what people are working through right now, especially shame. Guilt used to be more prominent. People felt guilty. They knew what they were doing was wrong. And now I don't know if that's the case as much, but there is shame, a lot of shame. Uh, and that's, that's worth, that's identity. This is all found in Jesus because we are being told, come just exactly as you are with all your junk and all that and come to Jesus and lay it all at his feet and, and allow him to come into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew and transform you from the inside out. And it's gotta start with your heart. That's what this, the, pair, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Yeah, you think it's about doing things. No, 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 it's about, it's about what's going on inside. It's about the source. It's about the foundation, the roots, your heart, your mind. So we need those to be renewed in Jesus. Verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God for that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Um, I was reading in commentaries and it's noted that there, there are no, there's the mercy seat, but there's no chairs or beds or anything like that in the temple or tabernacle. This was not a place for the priests to hang out. They were to go in and do their thing and do it well and work, 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 do, do, do. This is, this is what you're, this is all about. But what do we see that Jesus is doing? He's now sitting down at the right hand of God. The work is done. The work is done. He's 
now relaxing and resting in a sense. So what, what does that mean for us? Now he's making the enemies his footstool. So he's sitting down and his enemies are what he's propping his feet up against or up on. It's a decisive victory. That, I mean, that's just like, there's nothing more demoralizing than that if you're the enemy. <laughs> but what this speaks to is that Jesus now is in that place of rest, we also enter into that place of rest. We now get to sit and we now get to dwell and we now get to, to 24-7 be around with him. There's a huge difference from what the tabernacle and the temple represented to what Jesus does. And it's totally different. Jesus, he sits. I mean, is there, there's nothing like finding a chair when you're tired. And a lot of times if you sit down in that chair, it's over. I know that a lot of times. Like if I have like a really busy day and I have a lot to do, and I'll be like, I'm just going to sit down for a second. No, you aren't. This is, this is going to be where you will be for a while, you know, until you finally get your motivation. A lot of times Sundays, especially the long ones where they just go and, and I get here five and I'm thinking, I'm doing whatever, all this stuff. And it's, it's a lot of like mentally taxing and also uh, it's spiritually taxing, by the way, in case you didn't know. There's like, where there's like battles going on right here, right now. So I'll come home and I'll sit down on the stairs and I'll start taking off my shoes and then I just don't finish taking off my shoes. I'm just sitting there and I'm, and Tori's like, you coming up? I'm like, soon... I, Wore high tops. This is going to take a minute, you know? You're like, why am I wearing high tops? I should wear Crocs to church, you know? Just flip them off. Non-sport mode. But that, that, the, a chair is, is like, it's such a beautiful open invitation. Have a seat. When someone says, have a seat. That's a sign of hospitality. And Jesus is offering for us a place of rest in him. Have a seat. You no longer have to strive anymore. You no longer, because I've already done it. I'm the one that's already gone before you and I've done all these things. So there's nothing that you can do to add or to make better what I've already done. So rest in that. Find your peace in that. Trust in that. So verse 15, we're, gonna close, we're finishing up here. Guys, 18 verses, we did pretty good, all right. But the Holy Spirit uh, also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. For where there is remission of these there's no longer an offering for sin. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31. And we, we've talked about it before, but it's a reminder. Soak in the good news. What Jesus came to do was not just to, to cover our sins, but to completely make us new. And the world is desperate to see transformed people because they want to see, they want to see if it can actually happen. I was listening to a podcast and it was, um, it was uh, uh, Sean McDowell, um, Think Biblically, a Talbot School of Theology podcast. And it's, 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 a, it's some really good episodes. But it, he was talking about a book that was written by a senior, a mega senior pastor, mega pastor, mega church, mega church senior pastor. 
that had completely walked away from the faith. And, um, and so he wrote a book about it, of course. They always write a book about it. Uh, one last chance, you know, to mark it off of this. Anyway, it, but it was really sad. It was a really sad, sad story. And there was apparently many warning signs and he gave many warning signs that he was not well and things were not going well. But he was effective. And uh, one of his major objections, and it came at the end because he'd already made his decision, but he, he had come to the conclusion he didn't think that people could really be transformed. He, he, he thought, I don't think people are going to actually be transformed. Um, that's really sad. Because uh, that's exactly what I see every day by the people in this church. And I see it in myself. Not that we're complete or perfect, but like Jesus has transformed us. I mean, I know there's, we didn't all have soft hearts, did we? You know, you didn't always have like the most kind thoughts or thinking to bless instead of, you know, curse one another. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. But what happens when it doesn't happen and we just kind of like start to come together and, and it's like, wow, this is, I like that music. And there's a coffee shop in here too, you know? You watch my kids for two and a half hours or whatever, or two hours. And I don't have to do anything and I actually can feel kind of good about that. Like I did a good thing. And, and, and it's easy to all of a sudden like be like, well, that felt pretty good. I do want to be a more motivated person. You know, I do, you know, do want to be this. And, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, this is, this is not to, I'm not throwing, it's, you know, generic, whatever out there. But when we miss out on the, the radical transformation that Jesus can do in a life and we don't see it and we're not experiencing it even for ourselves, I think that's what it really comes down to is this guy wasn't experiencing it for himself. And there was, he was crying out for help. No one would help him because the, it, a machine had been built. It's really sad. I'm not saying this with any pomp and arrogance at all towards this guy. I feel really bad for him. But I also recognize like, man, We've got, this is, this is a shot across the bow. We have got to be about what we say we're about. And what is that? We're never going to be perfect, but we constantly are bringing back to the, the, our, our problems, our sins, our whatever, to the one who can do something with it. We're receiving mercy and, and grace, and then we're giving out mercy and grace. And that's what makes a transformative culture and people. It's, it's no secret, legalism does not make you more holy. Grace makes you more holy. When you live in grace, it makes you more holy. When you, not, not cheap grace, where it's like, uh, I did whatever I want, but I've got a grace card, you know. Boom, ha-ha, can't, I, no big deal. I can do whatever I want, you know, because I got grace. No, that's not it. But when we're living in grace, where we're walking with one another, this is the idea in honesty. We're dwelling with one another in understanding, in honesty, and being real with one another. What ends up happening? God moves in and through us. And as we're seeing lives transformed through the goodness of God and his benevolence towards us, it spurs each other on towards love. And we get excited about that. But that's built in this. 
This kind of a, it's meant to be built in the church. It's meant to be built around us by transformed people in the process of being sanctified to becoming more and more like Christ together in grace and mercy. Uh, I think there's a quote, I think it was John Phillips had said, he was talking about um, uh, a key, the shadow. The shadow of a key cannot open a door. The shadow of a key cannot open a door. You know, might look just like it, but it's not gonna open a door. Shadow of Jesus couldn't really save us. You know, the shadow of what was to come, but the person, the substance of Christ. Now that can actually save us. That can actually renew us. So the, this message that was given, you know, 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago to these Hebrew believers saying, why on earth would you look anywhere else but Jesus? It's the same question we have to ask ourselves. Why on earth would we look anywhere else? Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.